This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim, Pastor Michael, and Pastor Craig in the studio. Listeners, we're dealing with questions from Genesis and specifically, if I can say that right, the flood of Noah. And this question is going a little bit of a different direction. And the question is, why flood the earth if people are still going to be sinful after the flood? I have a couple answers. 13 in specific. <laughs> Number one. Number one, okay. <laughs> I don't have 13 answers, Craig. Oh, thank you. Well. like, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> yeah, I got places okay. to be. So here's what we know. We know that God is playing the long game. God knows the arc of history. Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. But we also know is that throughout history, God is making really singular and very powerful points. One of the points that he wants to make is how devastating and sinful sin really is. Yes. And so he will allow epics of history to uh, go on in order that all of history in the future might look back to see some of the points that he's making. So here's what we do know that God allowed the flood, knew how bad it was going to get. Like, the flood didn't come upon him one day. Like, it's not like he didn't know the flood was going to happen, right? We just got to put that... God, God is not like us. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. But God is also making a point. Nobody can look back and read the text and not understand how devastating sin truly is and how how angry it, it legitimately makes God. Yeah, but also how long-suffering he is because we see that he is waiting and waiting and waiting, knowing that mankind is getting more sinful but he's looking for those that would be righteous. I would say patient. Patient. Yep. All of his attributes are on display, and some really serious points were made in this time. But it's interesting that when God recreates the world, if you will, through the flood, refashions it, takes away everything, starts over with Noah, God also knows that he's going to call Abraham, who is alive during Noah's lifetime. Yes. And it's not long after the flood that God calls Abraham and creates the Jewish nation, the Jewish mm -hmm. people, sets them apart. Yeah. and creates a light for the entire world of the Messiah. So nothing surprised God. No, it was in his plan. Yeah, and again, I'm going to just draw back. Abraham and Noah were alive at the same time. That's amazing. Most people don't realize that. Yep. Crazy, crazy world. Craig, what do you think? <laughs> Craig's got words to say, but he's not saying anything. No, no, no. Come so, on, Craig. Okay, so the thing that gets me about all of this is that I am blown away that God didn't start again, right? For us, we would look at Adam and Eve, they're just miserable failures. Cain, good grief, what a miserable failure. And on and on it goes, down this line, right? To the point where God says, okay, I've had it. I'm gonna flood everything and start fresh. Now to me, starting fresh means starting fresh. However, God chooses to retain people who have the sinful nature growing in them a father, his wife, his family, their wives, bring them on the boat and start again with a knowing sinful nature already at work to the point where Noah is about to drop the ball in Genesis chapter 9, and Ham is about to drop the ball in a big way, yeah. and demonstrate that sinful nature is still alive and well. And so I look at that and I think to myself, why didn't God just start again? I think it demonstrates that God is gracious, that he doesn't need perfect people, but he needs people that have a heart after him. 
when they fall or when they fail, he is still gracious. He is still forgiving. And the line of redemption of God being the redeeming God, the God that will take broken people, sinful people, and yet still use those people, I think is what is being demonstrated there that he took those eight people into that ark that were all sinners. And the thing that I love about this is exactly what you said, Tim. There's no other conclusion you can draw from this story, which is why I think God uses this in Peter and Jesus uses this himself in the Gospels to illustrate to us how Noah saving people with the ark is a demonstrative example of how Jesus saves us through yeah. his body and blood shed on the cross. Yeah. And that tells us that God loves us that much. He's not going to squash us when we drop the ball. He's not going to get rid of us and start again with a brand new model. Mm. He is in love with us, and he is desperately under the impression that we can be used for his glory and for kingdom use, no matter what our backgrounds are, no matter how much we've dropped the ball, no matter how devastating the sin has been on us or the people around us. God is in the business of reconciling and preserving his people yes. for kingdom use. Mm. And man, that'll preach today because that's the same God that was alive in Noah's day. It's demonstrated in the way that God saved Noah because of his love for him, because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God bent over backwards to preserve Noah and his family. And if we're in that category here today, if we walk with God as Noah walked with God, as Enoch walked with God, as these folks walked with God, yeah. if we give our lives to Jesus Christ, he can make us into incredible examples of grace, no matter what our backgrounds have been, because that's what he does. He reconciles and he rejuvenates and he makes new. We're not the people that we once were. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us a new body. He makes us into something different than we were before. He did it with Noah. Now, Noah retained the sinful nature. He still dropped the ball, as will we. Yes. But our sin doesn't overcome God's grace. But the amazing thing is that in, in Genesis 8, when Noah leaves the ark, when his family finally get to get off with all the animals, the very first thing that Noah does is he worships God. He builds an altar. He builds an altar. He makes a sacrifice. And to think that he takes some of the few animals that he has to sacrifice for God. He is making that sacrifice that Abel made back in Genesis 3. Right, right. He's saying, hey, I'm going to trust you 100% because I have few of these animals, but God, you get the best. Yep. And I love the promise in uh, Genesis 8:21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For his intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And then he goes on to just promise that because he is the gracious God and the forgiving God, he will never again flood the earth with this kind of a flood. Genesis 8, 21, that's the promise because what you just read, God is not on the impression that Noah has changed. No. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, and yet God preserves that same image of God, that image bearer, Noah, and his eight relatives, knowing that the intention of their heart will also be evil, and their kids and their kids' kids yeah. will be evil from their youth. But God loves us enough, and he's dedicated to us enough that he is never going to, again, bring a flood to destroy yeah. the earth. But there will come a time when his patience runs out, and uh, we're living in this grace-filled season still, thank yeah. God. Next question is about dinosaurs. Oh, uh, yeah. we like this one. Unfortunately, Pastor Craig has to leave us. And so you're not going to be, be able to jump in on this question. You and I, 
We'll talk trash about them the Dinosaurs whole time. Dinosaurs scare me. <laughs> Goodness. So I say we come back next time. The question is, how do you reconcile the existence of dinosaurs and creationism? Oh, Love man, that's going to be a fun one. Is it? <laughs> <laughs>